Okay, we're going to play a little game, all right? And I call this finish the pair, right? Um, no right or wrong answers. I want you to call out, um, and it goes like this. I say fish, you say? Very good. Tom and? Shows your age. King and? You were paying attention yesterday. Well done. Lemon and? Yes. Um, Jonah and? Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? It's Jonah and the whale. That's what everybody... It, I felt it was all coming from that side. Um, it's, everybody would say Jonah and the whale, don't they? Um, look, over the next few weeks, we're going to begin looking at um, this story uh, together. Um, and I, I, think, I think, actually, if you walk down the high street this morning, I think there's a chance that somebody... Uh, knows about Jonah and the whale. It wasn't a whale, it was a big fish, but hey, I think people will know that. Um, and over the next few weeks, we're going to discover it, we're going to explore it, because we believe here uh, at PCF that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. In other words, God has promised, get that, promised to speak to us through his word, the Bible, by his spirit. We want to take that seriously. Um, everybody knows this is a story about Jonah being f- swallowed by a fish. Here are some um, book covers. Oh, hang on. Sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Here are some book covers, uh, children's stories, um, just, uh, you know, taken at random. I, I think that's pretty conclusive, isn't it? What is the book of Jonah about? It's about the big fish. But it's not about the big fish. Actually, the fish stars in just three verses. That's it. And and, and you can go further than that. This is, in fact, not really a story written for the kids, to entertain the kids. Actually, to understand it, you need to be an adult. Why? Because it's brilliantly told. It's full of wit and irony and humor and sarcasm. It's subtle. You've got to get it. I was watching um, Michael McIntyre this weekend. Anybody like Michael McIntyre? Yes, few fans, okay. He was talking about airports and how you, um, you rush off the plane, he said, and you, you, you get to passport control, only you don't. You have to navigate the zigzag. You know the zigzag? And he, he said you can spot what country people come from by how they navigate it. The Americans... Uh, the Americans, he said, just kind of leap over it. You know, they go straight through it. The Germans unclip it, you know, turn around, clip it back up again and walk through it. And what do the British do? We queue. We obediently walk up and down. Even when it's empty, we walk up and down and up and down. And I'm laughing away at this, even though the previous week, that's exactly what I'd done. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. Now, McIntyre's humor is gentle. Some comedians are crueler, though, aren't they? We laugh at ourselves, but as we do, it hurts. You ever had that experience? Perhaps you have a colleague like that or a mate at school, and you're laughing with everyone else, but they're having a dig at you, and it's uncomfortable. And that's what the book of Jonah is like. Jonah represents God's people through whom 
God wants to do his work in this world. But Jonah, there's no, there's no way of sugarcoating this. Jonah is a horrible person. He is a, he's deeply flawed. He's selfish. He's small-minded. And to top it all, he's Mr. Angry from Tunbridge Wells. That is Jonah. But as we laugh at him, and we'll be, we, we, we will, we'll do plenty of laughing at him, we're actually laughing at ourselves. Because God is putting his finger on our flaws. And he's gently helping us to change. Now, look, let's be clear. God loves us. He is not mocking us. He is not teasing us. But like any parent, he does want us to grow. And sometimes growth can be painful. Tim uh, Mackey says this. He says, Jonah is aimed at punching me in the gut. That's got you wanting to come back in the following weeks, isn't it? Exposing the worst tendencies that tend to form inside God's people, which is pride, hard-heartedness, judgmentalism, tribalism, small-mindedness, and an inability to grow and change and let God's grace surprise me and explode the boundaries of what I thought was possible. So if we want to hear God speaking to us, then we need to think about the whole story, not just the fish, and we're going to do that now. We're going to live with this story for five weeks, and I thought it would be a good idea, um, actually, to read the whole story first. You up for that? Uh, Helen's going to come and do that, and then we're going to look together uh, at the first three verses. Um, just as she does that, um, let, let me pray, because we're going to hear God's word read, read to us. Let me pray. Father, I want to say I'm a little uh, nervous, if I'm honest. I'm not sure what you're going to do through this book. I'm not sure what parts of my life you're going to put your finger on. But thank you that you love us, that you want the best for us. And as you meet with us, please help us to change. We want to be shaped into the image of Christ. Please, Holy Spirit, come and do that now through your word. Amen. Thank you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out, each to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, 
What should we do to you to make the seam calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to, dr row back to, dry, uh, row back to dry land, uh, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From, the deep, in the realm, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought up my life from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast proclaimed and all of them, from the least to the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger to share to, to, so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to bestow by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious God, compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat, a, sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. 
Then the Lord provided a leafy plant, and it made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, said Joseph, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Well, um, have you ever had a taster menu? Have you ever been to a restaurant and had a taster menu? Um, what, what they do is, instead of um, giving you a, a, a proper meal, they, they basically give you lots of tiny little meals that you can get a taste. And call me a Philistine if you like, but last time we had one, um, I felt like afterwards I had to drive to McDonald's and fill up. I was so hungry. Uh, actually, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to get a taste of all the different themes in this story. And, and I actually, I hope you are left hungry. Um, hungry for more, because we're going to investigate the themes over the next few weeks. Let, let's just take those... Um, first three verses and see what God has to say to us this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, who does the word of the Lord come to when it comes to prophets? Prophets aren't just those who see into the future. They take the word of God and they apply it to a nation. Now, the Bible is full of prophetic books, but this one is different. If, you, if you've got a Bible, you can flick over a few pages or screens to the next book. Um, the next book, Micah. And we read something very, very similar. This is how Micah begins. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. And what follows in that book is standard stuff. Judgment and warnings, encouragements and promises. But not in Jonah. Jonah is the only prophetic book which is a story. And that's because Jonah realized that what happened to him was something that his people Israel needed to hear. And it's been written down because the Holy Spirit thinks it's something we still need to hear. But who is Jonah? Well, he's not just any old Jonah, he's the son of Amittai. And that name comes up in one other place in the Bible. Have a look uh, later on at 2 Kings chapter 14. Um, the book of Kings, uh, uh, well, Kings is, is all about um, the kings of God's people, surprisingly enough. And the nation of Israel split just after King Solomon's reign into two. So it was one nation, it split into two. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And for the northern kingdom, Israel, it was a turbulent time. And that's because her kings turned their back on the Lord God. And so they came and went very quickly. And when you get 
Um, I'm sure you can't relate to this, but when you get a succession of leaders coming and going and coming and going, it means it's quite a turbulent time, okay? It makes everything very uncertain. But Jonah is speaking to Israel during the time of Jeroboam, who, verse 23, has been king, we're told, for 41 years. Now, that's a very long time, and it means that Israel is prospering. It's a time of conquest and advance. Inflation is down, wages are up, everybody's happy. And was that because Jeroboam was a good king? Well, no. Here's the second thing. Verse 24, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't turn from any of the sins of his ancestor Jeroboam the first. So God's people are prospering despite the fact that they're doing evil. Now, that's important. It is possible for a nation or a church or an individual to prosper and to experience huge success or security, for life to be comfortable and happy, and yet for the description evil to be entirely appropriate. That is worth all of us reflecting on. That is possible. So why is the nation prospering? Well, it's prospering because of the compassion of God. Verse 26, the boundaries of the land are restored because God saw that they're suffering. They actually deserve to be beaten up by their neighbours, but God is being very, very compassionate to them. He gives them what they do not deserve. And how else is God's compassion shown? Well, it's shown through Jonah, our Jonah. He's in the palace. He's speaking to the king. Despite their wickedness and sin, God hasn't walked away from them. He hasn't abandoned them. On the, on the, on the contrary, he's drawn near to them. He's given them his word through Jonah. They didn't deserve it, but God has blessed them. All right. So, Come back to Jonah, come back to chapter 1, and God comes to Jonah as he's enjoying this ministry, and he says, look, I want you to leave Israel, where you're safe and comfortable, where your ministry is prospering, and I'd like you to go to Nineveh and preach to them, because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah doesn't like that. And, and you can see why, to be honest. Being asked to go and preach in Nineveh is rather like asking a Ukrainian to go to Moscow and to tell the Russians that they're very, very naughty and they should stop the war immediately. Nobody's going to listen. And almost certainly it is going to end badly. But it's not just that. Jonah knows that back home the people of God are still not following the Lord. They're not living right. He's got more that he needs to do. And if he's got to move on, could that mean that Israel's opportunity to turn around and change is disappearing? And why is he being sent to Nineveh anyway? Because Jonah knows his Bible. God's already said elsewhere that he will judge Nineveh for all her wickedness. Now, look, I could tell you some things 
about uh, Nineveh, about the things that they used to do to their enemies, but if I do that, you won't eat your lunch. Okay? They were vile. And notice verse 1, God sees it all. Their wickedness comes up before God. God sees every act of wickedness done to us and every act of wickedness done by us. Nothing is hidden from him. So why, Jonah thinks, is God sending a preacher to Nineveh? A preacher. They don't need a preacher. They need a flipping army. And there can only be one answer why he's sending a preacher, and that's because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. His purpose is to bless the nations, not to destroy them. Yes, sin is serious. And that's why he sends a preacher, to wake them up and to turn them back to God. He wants to save this nation, not destroy it. Can you feel it bubbling up inside of Jonah? It's not right. It's not fair. Come on, God. These are the wrong people to bless. You're going to bless anyone. Bless Israel. They're your people. I mean, yeah, they may have gone a bit wrong, but it's going well. Alpha is exploding. We're having revival meetings every week. Nineveh, ah, oh, they should be punished. And did you notice it makes him very, very angry? So angry that he tries to run away. God wants him to go to Nineveh, so he'll go to Tarshish. In other words, God wants him to go east, he'll go west. God wants him to go overland, so he'll go on a cruise. God wants him to go somewhere near, and he literally goes to the end of the world. Tarshish, in those days, was the last stop before you toppled over the edge of the world. Jonah is very, very angry, and so he's running from God. Look, from time to time, God does things that make his people really angry. And that may not have happened to you yet, but I'm guessing that most people in this room understand exactly how Jonah's feeling. Just a guess. God has done something in our family, in our church, in our ministry, in our nation, in our life, that has made us feel very angry. And perhaps that involves benefit for people that we feel uh, are disgraceful. People who have hurt have been blessed. People who have done bad things have enjoyed good things. Or, or maybe, maybe it's something that involves loss for you that you think is outrageous. You look at your life and it's not the way it was supposed to be. When you started following God, whenever it was, you thought 
Yeah, it's going to be a bit difficult. I understand that. Yeah? There'll be tough times, but you thought he'd give you a partner. He'd give you kids, grandkids. He'd give you children. He'd give you friends. He'd give you success. He'd give you comfort. And he hasn't. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And that makes you angry. It's a very painful position to be in. And anger, of course, takes... You know, when we say anger, what do, the problem is we think, we think to ourselves, anger means, you know, red face, spitting and yelling. doesn't. Often anger can be cooler, quieter, and yet felt just as strongly. I'd argue, actually, even stronger. Rather than flaring up in a moment and gone, it can settle in and last for years. And the result can be that, like Jonah, we run away from God. I wonder whether that's you. I wonder whether you've ever been like that. I think most of us have at some point. I certainly have. And if you haven't, praise God, trust me, you will. You will. It will happen. Perhaps that is exactly where some of us are at now. And that's why Jonah is a great book for us to just meditate on. God is very, very patient with Jonah. But he does want him to change. Did you notice? Is it, is it right for you to be angry? He says it twice. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? God has been very very good to each one of us. Not nice. God is not nice. Right? That's the wrong word. But God is, in the words of Jonah, gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He doesn't respond to our anger the way we think, by getting even angrier. He doesn't run away from us. Actually, what Jonah tells us is that when we run from him, he runs to us. And that's the experience of Christians. That actually God in Jesus runs towards us. And he's wanting to run towards you this morning. You may be running away from him. He's running towards you. You think he's running towards you to give you a slap. He's running towards you to bless you and to do you good. The reason Jonah wrote this book is because he realized he is like a little Israel. He's like a little church. He's like a little you and me. Here is a very privileged prophet who in this story experiences God's compassion and kindness and goodness quite undeservedly. And yet at the end of the book is, it seems, very unwilling to turn from his anger and turn back to God. That's what we're going to think about over the next few weeks. And just think how that affects us. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to just stop and reflect on that um, briefly. Uh, we're going to sing a, a couple of songs. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for us as a church. This is not just 
another book. I believe this is a book that each one of us deeply needs to hear. And we want to pray and ask God to do something powerful as we look at this week by week.